0: Today's episode of GM Street is brought to you by SeatGeek. It is the best app for buying and selling tickets to sporting events, concerts, and more. For $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase on any game or sporting event, all you have to do is use promo code RINGERNFL. Download the SeatGeek app or go right to SeatGeek.com today. GM Street, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am Tate Frazier. It is Wednesday afternoon and on the line, it is Mr. Mike Lombardi. Lombardi, how you doing? I'm good, Tate Frazier. How you feeling? You good? I'm doing all right. I, uh, I'm bouncing back. Got a little bit of a sickness. Uh, so Coach K had a virus this past Saturday. I don't know if you saw that, and uh, I think I caught the same thing. So for the first did time, you, I, I was on the same game? page. Did Coach K
1: miss a game? He or missed or a game.
0: Okay? He missed a game. I missed a podcast recording. You know, it's a, it's about even as far as the importance on the world. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm back. I'm happy to be on the uh, on the line with you, and I'm I'm happy to get back to podcasting because the people want to know what's going on in the world of the NFL, Mike Lombardi
1: there's no doubt and there's a lot going on behind the scenes there's a lot going on you know in front of the camera I mean we got a lot of stuff happening so well, let's dig right into it
0: let's jump into it uh, first up let's talk about Steeler land uh, up in Pittsburgh a lot of drama going on obviously they take the loss 45-42 to the Jaguars they are no longer in the playoffs and with that comes changes and uh, Todd Haley was at the end of his contract as the offensive coordinator for the Steelers there was obviously a rift and some friction between Haley and Roethlisberger we remember uh, when Bruce Arians got forced out and they brought in Todd Haley. Big Ben was not the happiest uh, customer when that happened. And now we're at the end of the road and uh, it looks like quarterbacks coach Rainey Fickner will get uh, promoted to the offensive coordinator. Ben Roethlisberger said continuity is what he wanted and uh, it looks like they're going to keep him there. What do you think about this move for the Steelers?
1: Well, I think the best news for the Steelers today was that Mike Munchak, the offensive line coach, who had an opportunity to interview for the second chance at the Arizona Cardinals job, turned it down to stay. And I think this is the key for Pittsburgh's offense. I mean, what he's been able to do with that offensive line, you know, Gilbert was hurt most of the season, suspended, then injured. You know, he put Chris Hubbard in at right tackle, played well. That's the line really has done a great job. And keeping Munchek in place is going to help everything else out. And I think what the Steelers really need to do is uh, they need to break down where they are offensively, understand what their true strengths are, and not get caught up in an ABA game. I mean, that's really what they're trying to do, Tate Frazier. They're trying to be the Golden State Warriors, and they need to be able to control the pace of the game And they need to be able to get the ball to their best players. I mean, this is a team in the National Football League that's the worst play-action team in the league. How could this possibly be? they got one of the best running backs in the league. If they fake it to them, everybody jumps up into the line. And yet they're one of the worst play-action teams. So I think Haley, who was at the end of his line... You know, it was time for him to move on, and I think it was really time for the Steelers to move on.
0: And you brought this up to me as we were watching the Steelers game, and uh, you know, Le'Veon Bell was credited for this this running style where he patiently sits back and then he sort of you know waits for his offensive lineman to figure out you know wh- where they're going to pick up guys, and then he sort of picks the hole with what they determine. It's almost like he has an option every single time in these run plays. And you talked about Munchek as a guy that teaches this for for the lineman. He's a really good offensive line coach, and the importance of having a guy like Le'Veon. So, do you think that helps in negotiations? with Le'Veon to bring him back to Pittsburgh, knowing he's going to have Munchek to manage that line?
1: Yeah, and I mean, look, they're going to franchise him. Mean, and Munchek's run game is really good. And what I was trying to say when we were watching the game is they go foot-to-foot. They, they actually put the hip of the guard and the hip of the tackle come together. So when Le'Veon steps up into the hole and he does that direct stop, there's no penetration. There's nobody in the backfield mm-hmm. because they're foot-to-foot and they're pushing the line. And then he can read the linebacker's flow. And he can then break on that. And it's well-orchestrated, it's well-coached, and fundamentally, it's well-executed. So this allows them to, even when there's not a play that looks like there's going to be yardage, that they can still gain yards. So it's just not happenstance. Oh, Le'Veon just stops what he's doing. You know, we should teach that if we're at the Eagles or if we're at the, at the 49ers. Let's teach this. No, no, no. This is kind of orchestrated by what they do and how they do it. And, and I think that Munchak deserves a ton of credit. For me, Haley... I think he took a risk here. He took a risk in the sense where people don't understand is NFL coaches, there's no distinction, Tate Frazier. So you're either a head coach or you're assistant. It doesn't matter what your title is. So when you sign a contract, if you decide to not have an extra year, you become a free agent, like a player. The club has a week after your season if you're in the playoffs. They have two weeks after your season if you're not in the playoffs to renew your contract, like what happened with Vic Fangio. And you can test the market and you can get a new contract. I think what happened here with Todd Haley is he felt like he would be in demand, and perhaps he will be, but he let that contract go, and maybe he's tired of being in Pittsburgh, and now he's got to try to find a job at some place, whether it's going to be Philadelphia, I mean, whether it's going to be Pittsburgh, New York Giants, Arizona, somewhere, he's got to try to fit his scheme in.
0: And we— uh... You know, it wasn't just Haley, a guy that was mentioned for you know being in the doghouse and possibly you know being let go by the Steelers. I mean, Mike Tomlin was a name that we saw come up, and a lot of people questioned some of his decisions as far as you know. We even talked about some of his clock management, some of his decisions, maybe the onside kick in the Jaguars game. Just just some uh, some questions, basically, to see you know who he is as a head coach, and you know, was he the fundamentally sound guy that a lot of people pegged him to be at one point? Um, when you look at Tomlin and you hear these rumblings and rumors about him possibly being out. I mean is that nonsense or is there some actual uh, sub- substantive stuff to No, that? I
1: mean look, first of all, you know, the nonsense about minority partners are upset with them. I mean, look, the minority partners are no different than you and I. They just <laughs> get better Super Bowl tickets and they get a and they get a better seats at the game. I mean, they have no say whatsoever in what the Rooney family does. And understand that the Rooney family are only going to do what benefits them I mean they don't make decisions by the spur of their pants they don't they don't react to a bad season and they understand that Mike can do things really well but I think the concern if you're the Steelers is the concern Mike is a defensive expert okay and Mike's ability to really improve this defense from a schematic standpoint and from a you know, a, a, a talent standpoint has to worry you. And I think that that's really where you have to wonder what's going on. I mean, the Steelers, you know, when they're, when they had an opportunity to really get control of the game, they never could against Jacksonville. Is mm-hmm. it the fault of their players? Again, we'll go back to that whole thing, Tate Frazier, players, coaches scheme. And for me, I think sometimes the Steelers scheme needs to have a little bit more diversity, needs to do a little bit more. I mean, their Redstone scoring efficiency is bad. I mean, they're before the playoff game they were they were twenty eighth in the National Football League in allowance scoring points down there. So To me, that's where they have to improve. And if Mike's the head coach, that should be the area they should be really good at.
0: And uh, we'll see what happens in in Pittsburgh. We obviously, you know, it sounds like Ben Roethlisberger has decided to come back. There were a lot of people that thought that this could be his final season so far, so good. Uh, If you've heard him on the radio up in Pittsburgh, it sounds like he's bought in for next year. Uh, Let's talk about another franchise that, you know, took an exit early in the playoffs uh, this weekend with a divisional round, and that's the New Orleans Saints. They take the heartbreaking loss to the Minnesota Vikings. And now that, you know, we're on the other side of that, they're trying to figure out what the future looks like for them uh, the first big ticket to figure out obviously is Drew Brees, a free agent, he just turned 39 on January 15th he will be a free agent now, uh, there's a lot of talks that he, wa- he will and you know, plans to come back to New Orleans Sean Payton's another guy, not quite sure what his future looks like, but in all the, in all the you know, post-loss uh, interviews and everything that happened with the Saints it all seems like they're all aligned to come back and try to make another run at this thing and when you look at the Saints, uh, what's the first big question you have to answer there?
1: Well, I, I think obviously, you know, they're a really good team if, if Peyton's the coach. And, you know, there's always mm-hmm. been conversations every off season about Sean Payton being unhappy. And I think a lot of it stems from the fact that, you know, Randy, uh, when Mickey Loomis, the general manager of the team, and Sean Payton, how well do they actually get along? And can they coexist? I think there lies some concern. If you're a Saint fan, can they coexist? And they had a great draft last year. Will they make Jeff Ireland the general manager? Will they move Mickey Loomis into just the president's role? And will that make Sean Payton more comfortable? Because I think we're getting to the point where I think both guys have been together so long, perhaps they're not working as harmoniously as they need to. Now, we know Sean's upset with his special teams. He brought Mike Westoff in to help. I think they have like three special teams coaches before they brought Westhoff in, so you know they're going to clean that area of their team up. Mm-hmm. But I think what they really need to do is clean up where they're going in a direction You know, Sean sees the team with Ireland as the personnel director and Loomis. I think that triumphant is going to have a lot of conversations moving forward and how it all plays out. Do I think Sean Payton will coach the team next year? Yeah, I definitely do. Do I think it's possible there could be a blow up a week from now? Yeah, I definitely do. Because I think ultimately you have to have those defined roles and Tom Benson, the owner, has to make sure everybody's clearly on those. It's a little bit like the Rick Smith situation in Houston with Billy O'Brien. Did I anticipate Rick Smith being gone? Never would I have thought that. However, that being said, I never thought his wife was going to get sick, unfortunately for her, and they had to make some changes. So I think there's still some intrigue going on in New Orleans, and once they can get through that and they get Bree signed to an extension, they have a very good, young, talented team.
0: And I saw uh, Breeze in his in his post presser uh, after all the stuff happened against the Vikings. You know they were they were asking him about the season and you know the strides that they made and you know they're probably going to be a, a team that a lot of people like next year going into the season to make a Super Bowl run. And they sort of the the question was, you know, how do you capitalize on this positive stuff that you have rolling and. You know, all Breeze basically said was a lot of times when you have a good team, people don't work as hard because they feel like they've already gotten there. And my whole purpose as offseason is to make sure this team works as hard as they need to work to make a real run at this thing. Um so when you hear those quotes as a Saints fan, you, you have to be pretty optimistic about Breeze uh potentially returning to the Saints. One idea that I've also heard thrown out there about the Saints is the chance for them to go after Bobby Wagner. I don't know if you've seen this um, to to try to bring in a guy like that, you know, a, a Super Bowl MVP, a guy from Seattle that's with the old regime, and there are probably some possible changes there in Seattle. Um, so there's a big chance that you know the Saints could uh, could make a run at him in free agency, which would be nice.
1: Well, I, I think look, the Saints, you know, they were talking about trying to sign Malcolm Butler to a huge contract that never worked out. Uh, probably good for them that it never worked out because I'm not sure Butler would have played to the level that that contract would have been worth. But I think if you're a Saint fan, you got to feel really good about one thing. Drew Brees got better. Even though he got older, he got better. I mean, you know, his, his yards per attempt went up almost a half a yard this past season. And so he was able, his interceptions were at almost, really, you have to go back to his San Diego days, 2004, when he's threw the least amount of interceptions, he only threw eight interceptions all season. In 2004, he threw seven. So his interception percentage was way down. His quarterback rating, and I know sometimes these numbers get a little screwed, but his quarterback rating was, was, was one of the highest it has been in his league. Now, for the first time, Tate Frazier, for the first time since 2009, the year they won the Super Bowl, Drew Brees didn't throw the ball over 600 times, which is remarkable, right? Mm-hmm. He didn't throw it over 600 times. So that means they were able to get control of the game. This is something that I think Pittsburgh really should look at. Pittsburgh keeps thinking they have control of the game because Big Ben can do things. This is the first time since 2009 that Drew Brees didn't throw the ball over 600 times. And because of it, they were able to play better defense. And because of it, they could get control of the game. And I think Drew Brees had his best season. So for me... I like the Saints' future, but I only like the Saints' future with the best play caller in football, Sean Payton.
0: Next, standing next to him, and we should say, Drew Brees uh, led the NFL with seventy-two percent completion percentage. That was the highest all time, and he is three out of the four of the all-time completion percentage list. Uh, Drew Brees is on that list. I think Sam Bradford was the fourth guy on that list. So, Drew Brees keeps I mean, he turning had them had out. Four
1: years of his career that he's thrown seventy percent. I mean, you go back to '09; he was seventy point six. You go back to '11; he was seventy one two. And then last year in sixteen, you know, he, you know, he was seventy percent on the button, and this year he's at seventy-two. Remarkable, right? It's just fascinating. And it isn't like they just throw checkdowns all the time. I mean, they throw it up the field at times, and he did what he had to do in that game. I think for the Saints fans, I think watching that play for the fifteen thousandth time, I think two things come to mind. I think that you probably think the next time they do it, they should just rush three players, and you must have a defense, Tate Fraser. Where you can put your line in where the field goal where you think a guy's going to make a field goal, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, so say the say the forty yard line is the 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 the, the that would make it a fifty seven yarder. That's like we think he can make that field goal indoors. Then you have got to put your defense there, right there at the forty one yard line, and make sure the ball doesn't get over your head. And then you've got to have another layer of of, of defense behind it to tackle in case it does. And I think that's really what the Saints probably are going to spend most of their time working on.
0: And they're probably going to spend a lot of time saying, Sean Payton, maybe don't do a skull chant mocking the crowd with 25 what seconds was that,
1: left. What that, I don't even understand that. I'm too old. What is that? I'm missing that. What's a skull chant?
0: So I think it's this clap. They do like a skull clap and, and a chant. It's a it's a Vikings thing that they do. Um, and uh-huh. and so I th- apparently the story is, this is from a fan that corroborated the story, um, that Peyton, he turned around, looked at the Vikings crowd, and then did the skull chant and did the clap with 25 seconds left um, after oh, they hit man. the field goal. And then uh, as you know, of course, then that all came back to bite him. So maybe, maybe that's a lesson to take home this year. Maybe don't do that uh, and, and and play with fate like that because karma, karma doesn't uh, pick and choose. I mean, there are some pictures of him doing it too. He, he apparently owned up to it and said he did do it and said it was all in good fun. But uh, I I think that was a bad omen. If you're Sean Payton, you
1: know, when we played, we played, Baltimore in that incredible playoff game in 2014 where we were down 14 points twice. Mm -hmm. And I wrote about it in the book. I basically took that week and wrote about that chapter in in the book and going back and, and and I can still remember that we had got the ball back from, uh, when they tried to, after the interception, we were going to have to punt the ball back to them, right? And it was, we couldn't take, there was like nine seconds we couldn't take off the clock. So they were going to get one more chance at the ball. And you, we, couldn't, we couldn't take the safety because then it would have put the field goal in play. There was a couple things that we couldn't have done. So I could still remember that play. And when Flacco threw the ball up in the air, I honestly can tell you, Tate Frazier, that I never looked at the play. I mean, I just had my hand in my eye, my fa- my hands were in covering my eyes. I just didn't want to see it. I was in the coach's box. I just figured I'll wait for the reaction of the crowd to tell me because I didn't want to see it. I felt like if I looked at it, I would jinx it. So when you get down there like that, like and you're in the industry, you always think something bad is going to happen. That's why I can't believe Sean did it because you always think you're never going to be able to pull it off. I'm telling you, my whole entire career, I never ever watched the watch a field goal kicker kick the ball ever. Uh- I always would just, if we played home, I figured if the crowd cheered, it was good. If we played on the road, if I heard silence, it was, we, that means we made it. And if they cheered, I know we missed it. So I was just never going to do that. So I don't know why Sean would even take that because we're all superstitious. I mean, you're not in this league without wear. I mean, one year in 2000, I think the year I was in Cleveland, went to the playoffs. I think I wore the same thing down to my underwear every single game. I mean, you know, Millie's like, well, I don't understand why you go into work so early if you think what you wear is why you win and I'm like, yeah, well, that's kind of true, but I can't stop wearing
0: what I'm wearing. <laughs> don't contradict me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Thank you. Yeah, I, exactly.
1: I, I mean, what, don't bring logic <laughs> to a logical
0: problem. Please, yes, exactly. don't stop doing that. As I knock on wood three times and, uh, you know, I always wear my, the same socks I always wear to Carolina games during the the whole Carolina uh, run last year, Wear the same socks every game. And sometimes it works out when you do that stuff. Sometimes it doesn't. But when it does, it makes you stick to it even more. When I was
1: growing up, everybody did that. I mean, when I was growing up, Pete Maravich used to wear the same socks to every game. I don't think he even
0: watched. Them. That's why I uh always wear the same Is socks it, when I played in ga- like if I had a good game I always wore the same socks and that was because of Pistol Pete. It's uh it's a well-known thing. You got to do that. Got to do it.
1: No, hey, look, I'm all for it. I mean, look, I would drive the same way to the stadium. I would never go any I mean, it's all about it. So I that's why it shocks me that Peyton would do that and risk that cuz You know, there's you never, ever take anything for granted when it comes to the NFL. I mean, never. I mean, we've seen it too many times where, you know, you think it's going to happen and oh my God, it doesn't.
0: Yeah. And there's a great Woody Durham line. Go where you go, do what you do. And uh, I like that. that.
1: Go where you go, do as you do. I got to put that in the book.
0: There you go. Put that in the book. Woody Durham, give him a a citation. We're going to take a quick break to get a word from our sponsor. We're going to come back and talk about some other NFL openings. Quick break to get a word from our sponsor, ZipRecruiter. Does your business have any New Year's resolutions? Here's an important one every business should consider make your hiring process more efficient and more effective. This year, let ZipRecruiter help. No one has done a better job of transforming how you find the right talent than they have. Are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? ZipRecruiter posts your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. Then ZipRecruiter actively looks for the most qualified candidates and invites them to apply. They even review every application to identify the top candidates so you never miss a great match. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other hiring sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on the right Candidates finding you, it finds them. No wonder 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified candidates with immediate results. And right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerNFL. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerNFL. One more time, to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerNFL. Alright Lombardi, we are back and let's talk about some other uh, NFL openings around the league First up, I want to talk about, I, I would say it's the most intriguing situation and that is because there's not a guy that's pegged to be the head coach right now and that's the Arizona Cardinals. Bruce Arians retires uh, and leaves there and, and a lot of people thought that Mike Munchek would be the name that would get pulled over but Munchak took his name out of consideration. He's uh, going to stay with the Steelers as we mentioned earlier and now when you look at that Cardinals job, I mean, is there a name that jumps out to you or someone they plan to target? I've heard Brian Flores as a name. That may pop up uh, a guy of the Patriots linebackers coach. That, that's probably the only one I've heard, really.
1: Well, Brian Flores interviewed for the job. He thought it went well, and I think Brian Flores is one of the most outstanding coaches I've been around. I mean, of all the coaches in New England, you know, Matt Patricia will become the head coach of the Lions and Josh perhaps at the Colts. I think Brian Flores is one of the best coaches on that staff. He's young, he worked in the personnel department, so he knows personnel. He's coached safeties. He's coached linebackers. He knows the Belichickian system pretty much as well as anybody. Because what what I think people confuse on the Belichick system is is they confuse the ability to integrate player personnel into the system. So, you know, as they get ready to play Jacksonville this week, Belichick is going to set the game plan up predicated on his evaluation of the opponent based on his evaluation of his team. And And when you don't have that, it doesn't quite work as well. So but Flores is really good in that area. So I mean I would hope he'd have a chance. The Cardinal job for me is interesting because I thought Shermer would be their guy. Mm-hmm. And the reason I thought Shermer might be their guy is because maybe he could take Case Keenan with him. Maybe he could take Sam Bradford with them. They need a quarterback, right? So I thought perhaps, you know, that would lead him to be the guy, but I don't really have an instinct on what's going on in Arizona, I do know this from experience. If Munchak took his name out of it when he was asked for a second interview, he doesn't think – he thinks they have their guy, and that's why he took his name out. Because Munchak deserves to be another head coach, whether he could be a successful one or not. He's a great line coach. But when he took his name out, that was surprising.
0: Yeah, uh, just looking at the Cardinals' situation, obviously you you don't have a quarterback – um, you got to figure out the Larry Fitzgerald situation. He's a guy that's sort of aging out, but he is also an ageless wonder at the same time. Um, I mean, is there any name? I mean, most people expect him to go from an ex, an experienced head coach. That's why Munchak was the top name that came up. I mean, is there is there a chance they go young with like a Mike Vabral type, or uh, is there anyone really that stands out? Uh, you know, because obviously Patricia McDaniel's. Some of these other names seem like they're all locked up uh, at different places. Right, and
1: I mean, you know, like you know, Tennessee's going to talk to Vabral. They're going to talk to uh, Matt LaFleur. They're going, they going—they seem like they want to go with a younger coach. Maybe they're going to talk to Brian Flores as well in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. They can't do it now because they're still in the playoffs. But to me, I thought they were headed down that experience lane, but they're talking about bringing John DiFilippo back for a second interview. Whether that happens or not, I don't know. But, but they've done a really good job of keeping it secret on what they're trying to do and who they really like. There hasn't been a lot of leaking of that. They're not talking to people. And usually how things get out, and how people find out what you're doing is, is oftentimes clubs will call and ask for references about from players, you know, hey, you know, you coach this guy at that team, tell me about your coach. And so once you make that phone call, whomever you call to get that information He's then taking that information and leaking it to whomever he wants to tell it to, which you know clearly is his choice. So we're not hearing any of that; like they're not doing any of that, which tells me they might have a secret candidate. Which tells me could it be Flores? It wouldn't shock me.
0: Yeah, and the uh, owner Michael Bidwell did say that uh, I think he even put it out there publicly that he's going to take his time with the searching, and uh, that, that there was no deadline in Arizona. So that's probably the most intriguing place to watch. Um, let's go to the New York Giants, which is probably the most primetime job available. There's been a lot of you know at one. Point. I think you know people had pegged Matt Patricia as the guy in New York. No, oh, people
1: be- had pegged Bill Belichick coming back, and then it went to Nick Saban. <laughs> <laughs> it went to Nick Saban.
0: Yeah, no one really knew what was going on up there. Everyone just liked the storylines. Obviously, Gettleman is is back. The Mara family is trying to figure this whole thing out. Steve Wilkes was a name that was thrown out. That uh, interviewed Josh McDaniels was another guy uh, that was thrown out there. And now Pat Shermer, right, is the one that everyone uh, yeah. seems to believe will be the head coach. <laughs> Yeah,
1: and I, and I think it's a little unfair that the, the the Giants have gotten labeled that they didn't get the guy they wanted in Patricia. I'm, I don't. That's never what I heard. You know, I think they really would have liked to have hired Josh McDaniels, but I don't think that their organizational structure was ideal for what Josh McDaniels wanted to do. And it's been reliably reported to me that. The Giants knew that, you know, if they tried to, if they hired their general manager first, that it would probably preclude them from being able to hire a guy of McDaniel's caliber because he wants to go somewhere where he has a relationship with the general manager. So I think the Giants are taking a beating in terms of. They're saying they got, they, you know, Patricia didn't want him. I think Patricia was always the first choice of the Lions from the beginning. I think from the time Bob Quinn left the Patriots till, till now, I think he's always been the guy they've wanted to hire. I think that's been his job. I don't say that, that the Giant job was his job. I think the Giant job was McDaniels. If there would have been a different situation, I think that would have been ideal what they wanted. But look, the Giants hired Shermer. They get somebody to come in and run their offense, and it tells me that perhaps – They haven't given up on this Eli train yet. Perhaps they they think that Shermer could come in and fix it and and draft a guy and develop a young quarterback like he did when he was in St. Louis. I I guess the question I have for Giant fans would be, is Steve Spagnuolo coming back as your defense coordinator? Because Shermer was his offensive coordinator when he was the head coach of the Rams.
0: Mm -hmm. It'll be a nice little role reversal there.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, and look, I mean, you know, they love Spagnuolo at the Giants. They get to keep the same system, even though they named him interim head coach. And, you know, they changed the offense. Now, look, the one thing about the Giants by hiring Shermer, they really don't have, it's still the West Coast, West Coast terminology that'll be in place. I mean, that's what McAdone ran. Uh, and so speaking of Macadon, do you realize he interviewed for the Browns job? Would that yeah, be perfect?
0: I was going to ask you, could you imagine Hugh Jackson and Ben McAdoo on the sideline together? I don't think we could ask for more comedy than that next season.
1: I think it would be, pr- the question is, is what hairdo would McAdoo use for the Cleveland job? I, I we think- know he has we has hair in the first <laughs> year in New York, changes hairstyle in, in the second year. Mm. Would he have a third hairstyle? I mean, I don't have, I don't have enough hair to have three hairstyles. Would you think he has enough hair to do that?
0: I think he goes buzz cut if he's in Cleveland. <laughs> Why not? Could you
1: imagine him? Mean, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be just unbelievable having him and Hugh next to each other on the sideline? I, you know, I would feel for Browns fans.
0: I would feel for Ben McAdoo because Hugh is going to blame him for everything. Everything that goes wrong right. offensively is going to be his fault. So poor Ben McAdoo. Well, speaking
1: of, yeah, I mean, I know. We, but look, I mean, Hugh, two, a year ago he fired the defensive staff. This year he fired the whole offensive staff. And, you know, fired the special teams coach. It's everybody's around him. You know, it's it's that old, you're too young to remember this. It was a great Twilight Zone episode where Peter Falk Pretended he was, and this applies to the NFL often. It, Peter Falk pretended he was the. Uh, it was like Castro, and so he took office. And as they were taking the exile uh, leader off, out, the exile leader says to the Peter uh, Falk character, he says, "You see this mirror? This mirror is a magic mirror. If you look in this mirror, it'll tell you who your enemy is all the time." Okay, so naturally Falk goes, goes over looks at the mirror almost every single day. He sees a picture of a face, has that person killed, and before too long. You know, the mirror ends up showing that it's really him he should have killed. I think Mm. Hugh has that mirror somewhere there. I think he
0: does. Uh, it actually makes a lot of sense. So uh, poor Hugh. I, I hope he figures it out. Maybe he'll get two wins next year. That's my hope. I can't. They can't do back to back zero sixteen. But if they bring in Ben McAdoo, uh, there's a real chance that could happen. Uh, let's go to Detroit. Um, a job that you know most people understand that Matt Stafford wants to keep the offensive staff in place, and that means keeping Jim Bob Cooter in place. So that means they're looking for a defensive guy, um, and Matt Patricia seems to be the name, right?
1: I think that's it. I think Patricia's got that job. Whether he, you know, I mean. I think it's his, it's his for the taking. And, you know, he'll go in there and keep Jim Bob Quinn, going to have to find an offensive line, going to have to put together a defensive staff. But I think Bob Quinn got the guy that he's most comfortable with and he made everybody content. Now, whether it works or not, that's another story, but he's happy with his head coach and his quarterback's happy with his offensive coordinator and therefore everybody's happy. And one thing I know learned from Bill Walsh, he used to say this all the time, when everybody's happy, that means we're not winning. So we'll <laughs> see if this works out. He used to say it all the time, Tate Frazier. That's a good line. He he used to say it all the time. It's it's hilarious how it comes back to you. He used to say, you know, when people say we're all in the same boat together, and Coach Walsh would always say, no, I don't think we're in the same boat. I'm in the boat in front of you, and, and you guys are rowing too. So he understood that he was in charge of everything. And, you know, it wasn't always just as easy as it made it sound.
0: Yeah. Uh, Let's go to a place where it does sound like it could be pretty easy with Andrew Luck coming back to play quarterback, it seems. All signs point to Andrew Luck being healthy and ready to go from the start. And Josh McDaniels is... Supposedly, you know Chris Ballard likes McDaniel's and wants to bring McDaniel's in to run this team and and to get Andrew Luck and this offense back on a roll. Um, does that seem like a good fit there with McDaniel's in Indianapolis? You know, I,
1: I think it does, and I mean I like Chris Ballard. I think Chris Ballard's background fits with Josh McDaniel's. I think it will work well there. And you know, look, you get a quarterback like 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 I've said, it doesn't matter really when when you know you don't hire a coach to win the next month in September. You hire a coach to be able to. To set a program and build a culture, and I think that that's really what matters most. When Andrew Luck's healthy, I think they'll have the culture, and he'll be able to uh, and he'll be able to uh, uh, to to develop it and grow and, and handle it. So, you know, I think it's a perfect match. I think Andrew Luck has a chance to be really good now in terms of if you take that arsenal that comes with them from New England, the, the ideology, the system in place, and you put it in in Luck's hands, I think it could be really good.
0: Absolutely. It it seems like a fit that uh almost it's like a really match made in heaven. Head. Yeah. And especially with the with the background with the whole, uh, it's going to be funny to see how that all works out with, you know, the Colts and the Patri- Patriots had this rivalry so long in the AFC to see who was going to be the supreme team. Obviously, the Patriots dominated that talk and then, you know, obviously it goes back to the the de- gate situation and now you have, you know, Andrew Luck wearing number 12, Brady being the, you know, the current 12. It's, it's a lot of similarities between the situations there and now McDaniels obviously being on the Colts will add even more intrigue to that whole storyline. So good for the AFC. Uh, is there any more job openings or, or situations we I think the hit. Tennessee
1: one's going to be interesting I think mm-hmm. Tennessee was a day late a dollar short you know I think that they they winning that game probably cost them a chance at being able to uh go to the next level and so by do by uh you know losing by beating Kansas City was great and then we know that you know they wanted to make some changes to the offense that really my, that Mike Malarkey wasn't willing to make, which was ridiculous. I mean, obviously he wasn't watching the same games we were watching. And so, you know, they had to make a change. And it kind of worked out. Now they've got to figure out what's the best path. Can they get Mariota the right guy to come in with them? That remains to be seen. I mean, they're talking about trying to hire a Sean McVay type of clone coach. They've interviewed Rabel, Matt LaFleur. They're going to go in there. I think this is going to be interesting to see based on the talent pool that's left what is available? They still have coaches that are going to pay for the staff. They're still paying Wizenhunt and they're still going to pay Malarkey. So they got two coaching staffs that they're basically playing. And so the third coach that comes in, I would suspect, will be a younger coach with a little bit uh, on the job growth in terms of offensive football.
0: So, my question to you about the Malarkey situation it was reported, right? Once they got the win in the first round that he was going to sign a contract extension extension then when they went to actually do the the meetings and try to figure out what the negotiation points are of the of the contract they didn't agree to terms and then he was terminated right
1: right exactly. well what happened was i think they said hey look we want you back but we don't want Robisky back or we don't want this guy back we want you back but we don't want everybody back and i think that that was the problem and and since he since he was uh uh you know he was not he was going to fight for that I think he basically said, you know, I'm out. And they said, you're out, you know. So once he decided he wanted to keep his staff, then it became a real
0: problem. Wow. Wow, well, that's a that's a crazy turn of events to go from uh, news of a contract extension to uh, it, it all going downhill real quickly. Um, yeah, that that those are probably the two jobs. The Cardinals and the Titans are the two ones to keep an eye on to see what happens there. Uh, most expect the the Colts and the Lions' jobs are pretty much wrapped up in Shermer in Detroit. Uh, Lombardi, any more thoughts before we ca- we're going to be back Friday to do our Friday focus where we're going to yeah. hit all the championship yeah. games. Uh, so you you can hear us in when we finally break all that stuff down. But any more thoughts before we get to Friday?
1: No, I just know that the the Falcons are trying to hire a quarterback coach, which I think will help. I mean, obviously, if they bring Sarkeesian back, that'll be interesting. I thought Seattle uh, bringing Ken Norton back was uh, was interesting. Obviously, it tells me that Pete Carroll didn't think that Chris Richard was really demanding of the players because, you know, the scheme's going to stay the same. Nothing's going to change. So, obviously, there's was, there was obviously some miscommunication in terms of what left Pete's office and went to the defensive meeting room. So that Norton coming back and Brian Schottenheimer coming there. I mean, John Schneider was, was Marty Schottenheimer's offense, uh, general manager when he was in Washington briefly. So that's an interesting hire because they're like, a, Darryl Bevel was the same offensive coach running the same type of scheme. So they're going to keep the West Coast offense in place there. So I think that'll be interesting moves. And Brian Dayball going to Buffalo will be another interesting move. Leaving the University of Alabama. Yep. I think, you know, if they can get a quarterback there, I think this will help Buffalo in terms of give them a better passing game. And then hopefully they can still run the football effectively. So, Next, when we come back on Friday, it'll all be about football and those two games, no more coaching talk.
0: Exactly. Uh, and Dave Ball will have a good time up there in Buffalo uh, getting to go back home. And also, yeah,
1: uh, he can eat. he can eat all the wings
0: he can. <laughs> and, and try to revamp that offense because they had the defense. <laughs> uh, they held the Jaguars at 10 points much better than the Steelers' defense could do. So we'll see if they Absolutely. can figure it out up there. Uh, this has been another edition of GM Street, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Thanks, Michael Lombardi. All
1: right, Tate Frazier, thank you. Talk to you Friday.